debrief, okay. debrief, well, we're debrief. Listen to the whole thing we're looking at the debrief. Hi. Hello. This is like four hey, Justin, minutes. You're, Justin you're party. There. Oh, hey, what's up, everybody? <laughs> Join us at debrief.show. Debrief. Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief with your friends here at Sandals Church, where every week, Pastor Matt Brown is bringing you real answers to tough questions from the Bible. I'm your host, Justin Party, hanging out here with my pals. I am Stephanie Keen. And we got Pastor Matt Brown. Mm, the PMB. So we rearranged things here in the studio, and you are now at the end. How do you feel in this new position? At the center, as I should be. Mm. <laughs> I was going to call it the seat of power, mm. and then I thought that was too empowering to you, but you stepped up yeah. to the plate. as It might work if your chair was a little lower. Yeah, we can lower our chairs. Yes. There, yeah, there, oh, there I love it. Yes. You guys, my ankles are being pinched in a way oh, yeah. that I can't control. My knees are like hitting the table right now. I like this. It's fine. Uh, yes. I don't. Oh, gosh. Awesome. This is harder than oh, that. Oh, man. You know what PMB stands for? You you fill us in. Pontificus Maximus Brown. Oh, man. It's not princess? That's. <laughs> it's only princess on mission trips. Oh, okay. Fair. I only turn into the, well, I'm kind of princess all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we've spent some time with you. We're going to judge you and hold you accountable to live up to the namesake of what's on the, your hat right now, that real hat. Yes. Mm-hmm. You say, own your princess. Own your princess. Well, shout out to everybody. If you are new, if this is one of your first times joining us here on The Debrief, listen, every single week we try and bring you real answers to tough questions from the Bible. In just a second, we're going to start debriefing your sermon as we kicked off the Relationship Toolkit series this weekend at Sandals Church. And we've got some awesome off-topic questions as well from all over the place. So We sure do. Thank you guys so much for sending those in. We have gotten questions just flooding in. So we have lots of off-topic questions. We're going to keep just trying to get a couple in every episode. So thank you guys for oh, yeah, sending those in. Exactly. Let's have a moment of gratitude for the people that yeah. send in questions. When we first started the show, the, the questions were just like a trickle. Mm-hmm. And now... A flood. Exactly. A literal flood. We actually flood had, of a, we had to write some yeah. questions. It's a flood of wisdom. Yeah, we used to have to write the questions. Exactly. Now you are writing them for us. Exactly. So thank, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank oh, you. Oh, thank you. Sorry, I was trying to make eye contact with the camera for that moment. I wanted it to be even personal mm. and authentic. I was trying to make eye contact with Pastor Matt because I wanted to oh. be humble and spiritual. No, you were trying to get some points because of my talk today at staff meeting where yes. I challenge everybody to be thankful. Mm-hmm. And did I, was I staring at you when I said that? Well, I was sitting in the back to try and lurk in the shadows. Mm. Stephanie's a lurker. Yeah. She lurks. I feel like I've grown out of the lurking, though. I used to be a lurker. Like, that's my only memory of Stephanie at Sandals. For, like, the first five years she attended, she was always in the background lurking. Just kind of standing around yeah. like a creepy slug. Well, she's too tall to hide. <laughs> <laughs> so, that was my problem, so I was trying to hide, but I couldn't. So yeah. it just looked like I was lurking. And I was like, who's that girl lurking? Good right. stuff. Well... Let's, Let's jump into it. Let's get some questions. Let's get into some questions. That's right. This first off-topic question comes from Nan- Nancy all the way in South Florida, which I thought was really whoa, fun. Whoa. So, yeah, my mom actually grew up in South Florida. Fun story. I don't I don't know where Nancy is. I'm but. pretty sure Pitbull's doing a concert there right now. <laughs> Living the dream. Yeah. I can't listen to his music because he's so prideful. Mm. He's like, your dream is my everyday life. I'm like, and stop. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, all right. So Nancy's question is, I got saved in an early age and was baptized when I was 15. Now at 31, I find myself being more true to the person God has called me to be. It's been a sobering yet humbling experience to pre- repent, have faith, forgive, confess, and actually seek God first in my everyday life. I sometimes question my prior salvation because of my past young and dumb days after I got baptized. Should I get baptized again? Yeah, that's a great question. I think all believers that are baptized at a younger age struggle with this. It's something that I struggled with. Uh, Nancy, I was baptized at the age of eight years old, and it wasn't until um, my early 20s in college when I, 
I fully gave my life to Christ. And I really, really wrestled through with that. And so here's what I would say is, I think in most cases, no, you should not be rebaptized. I think it's, you know, when we're baptized, we give as much of ourselves as we understand to as much of God as we understand. And, you know, again, baptism doesn't save you. And so what it is at that young age, if it was sincere, you know, if your parents made you do it, you know, then I think that you need to do that. And so like, if you, you know, if you were baptized maybe as an infant, that wasn't you choosing, that was someone else, then I would say you need to be baptized. But if you did it freely and it was a desire for you at that age to commit fully to God, even if you drifted for a time, I don't think that you need to do that. However, the Holy Spirit, you know, is God, I'm not God. And if the Holy Spirit is convicting you that you need to do this again, uh, go ahead and do that again. And so, um, you know, ultimately I was in Israel a couple of years ago and, and I just really felt like, you know, here I am baptizing a bunch of people in our church and we're in the Jordan River. And I was like, you know what? Um, I'm going to do this. And uh, well, I didn't do it, but I asked my brother to baptize me in the Jordan River. He's a pastor. And so he baptized me and it was a pretty powerful experience. And I was really, really grateful that I got a chance to do it again. Uh, but it's not something that I think that we need to repetitively do. And so I just would encourage you, listen to God, you know, get in a, a community group, talk through your experience with people that love Jesus, who are committed Christians, know the Bible, know God's word, um, because we don't want to emotionally make decisions uh, in regards to spiritual truth. And so the truth is when you repented of your sins and you gave your life to Christ, you're good. Um, having said that, if you feel like the Holy Spirit's saying, you know, uh, you were baptized before you were saved, then I would do it again. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's a great question. And ultimately it has to be answered on every individual cases, case basis, excuse me. And I don't know enough about your life in order to definitively say you should do this or that. I think it's safe to say though, for the most part, baptism is good. Like mm -hmm. if, if you if you wanted to do it and wanted to give your life to Jesus, that one time is enough. It's interesting that Nancy says she was baptized when she's 15. She's now 30. And she says, I find myself being more true to the person God has called me to be. I mean, she's twice as old as she was then. Yeah. I think when she's 60, she's hopefully going to say, I now find myself being more true to the person God has called me to be. And that mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean she would need to be rebaptized again. Yeah. I mean, we're all going to be continuing to grow in that way, so. Yeah, and while we're on the topic of baptism too, for those of you who are here at Sandal Church, we're actually having a baptism in two weeks. So if maybe you've never been baptized before and you're realizing this is something you wanna do, uh, we're having baptisms in the weekend of March 11th and 12th. Uh, go to sandalschurch.com slash baptism. You can sign up, learn all about baptism. Uh, we would love to have you be a part of that, so. Awesome, so Myra wrote in, she, and she asked, how can I explain Lent to non-believers? Yeah, Lent is, uh, you know, it's a Catholic tradition and it's not something that we celebrate here at Sandals Church, but it's 40 days prior to Easter. And it's just kind of the Catholic calendaring. And you gotta remember, you know, for a couple, well, thousand years, um, all of Europe was governed by the Catholic calendar. So everything revolved around Christian holidays and stuff like that. And so in America, we're not that way. So we don't have that formal remembering. But Lent begins on Ash Wednesday with this idea that all things die. And so um, you put ash on your foreheads, remembering to die to yourself, desire to your wants, your desires, your needs. And so you put that ash on your forehead and that's symbolizing just this recommitment and renewal as you prepare for the Easter season, remembering that everything is made new on Christ every, or excuse me, on Easter morning, every, you know, everything is made new. Jesus Christ is the firstborn of the resurrection. And we're, we're preparing for that. And we're, you know, most Catholics or, or Lutherans or traditional Baptists, for 40 days, we'll give up something, mm -hmm. say 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 no to something. Uh, sometimes it gets a little silly, uh, you know, and we make it really about ourselves. But it's it's to both, supposed to be 40 days of spiritual preparation for Easter. Mm -hmm. I think, it, you know, at Sandals, we don't do enough. This is just my own thinking. Um, 
you know, we don't do enough to prepare for that weekend. You know, for most people, you know, Good Friday is a, is, is a day to party. And really that's a day for mourning, a day for reflection. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's only good because somebody died in your place. And so we need to remember that. So Lent, it's something that I've always wanted to do. And we got to figure out how to do that um, in, in, a, in a less traditional way. But I think it's something beautiful that the Catholics do. And I appreciate our brothers and sisters in Christ as they um, kind of orchestrate their lives around the cross. And it's it's preparing and moving for that. And so it's 40 days. Um, you know, that's a significant number in the Bible. You see, you know, Jesus is in the wilderness fasting for 40 days and then he's tempted. We see journeys of 40 days, you know, it took Elijah 40 days to march from um, his place where God spoke to him to Mount Sinai, you know, uh, Israel's um, in the desert for 40 years. And so 40 is just this number that's uh, really, really spiritual for Christians. Rick Warren wrote a book called Purpose Driven Life, where it was 40 days, mm-hmm. um, where you're reading a chapter every day. And so um, God can do amazing things in your life in 40 days. And so um, it's just a beautiful number. And it's, it's a great opportunity for us to reflect and prepare for the coming of Easter. Mm-hmm. But how do you explain it to non-Christians? Um, very carefully. Try to try not to make it scary or weird or whatever and just say, hey, this is the way that I'm preparing myself for what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross because without him, I'm lost. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so you know, I, I don't know how every priest does it, but the priest I know, you know, it says, you know, from dust you came and mm-hmm. to dust you shall return. And so, you know, um, that's the idea of it. It's reminding you that, of the brevity of life and our need for resurrection. So it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so one last off-topic question before we jump into debriefing the sermon this weekend. Whitney says, last week you said you need to confess things that you're not healing from. Does that also apply to events that happen in your life, such as a tragedy or trauma that you've not healed from yet? Because about a year ago, I went through a family trauma involving my daughter, and I still have not spoken to people in my life about it, but I'm also not healed from it. Would confessing this help me heal? Yeah, absolutely. There's Okay, so sin... Darkness and evil has its power when it's not disclosed. Mm-hmm. So, th- the reason Jesus or, or the, uh, John says that people run from Jesus is that he is the light, and they run from the light because they don't want to be exposed. And as Christians, there's just something healing from being able to share what happened in our life. And so, I can't guarantee that the entire wound will be healed because the reality is some wounds will not be healed until the return of Christ. There's just there's just some things in this world that are too painful that are too awful, um, that you're, you're just not going to heal from. You may, you may find some healing, but you won't have complete healing in this life. But I believe that the process always of healing starts with confessing. And so here's the thing is, you know, you got to be careful because, you know, I don't know, was this your sin to your daughter? It doesn't sound like it. It sounds Mm-mm. like something happened to her. Right. So, you know, you need to be very, very careful that we don't misapply the text. The text is confess your sins to one another so that you may be whole and healed. However, the principle of sharing your story, of talking about what's happened works. You know, I mean, psychologists will tell you this, anybody will tell you this, that when you experience trauma or there's wounding, it helps to begin to deal with and talk about what happened. Um, that's the first step in healing. And so I just would encourage you, you know, find a Christian counselor, find somebody that you can talk to, be very, very careful who you share it with, because if we share with the wrong person Sometimes what happens is we just become clams and we close up and we never share again. So you want to make sure that that initial sharing is with someone that's very, very safe and just know, you know, that that thing is going to be so precious to you and, you know, you're never, ever going to forget it. And I'll just tell you this. I have people that come up to me, oh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I shared this with you. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about because I hear confessions all the time and I don't store them away. 
Why, why would I want to keep that? I mean, you know, sometimes if I remember, maybe if God, you know, it's calling me to remember, but most of the time I just listen to it and let it go because I'm just hearing your confession. And why would I hold on to it if, if you're if you're trying to let it go? I don't want it to be my burden. Yeah. But people remember that first moment where they're like, I said this to you. And they remember every word. They remember my facial expression. They remember the place. They remember the time. And so just know that first confession of, of this wound is going to be so precious. And I've, man, I remember a couple of years ago, I was in this, uh, this healing group. I mean, it was so lame. I was in this healing group <laughs> and, you know, everybody's encouraged to share, you know, the depths of their heart. And I share this wounding and dude, I got piled on, man. And, and like the two counselors are coming at me wow. and I literally just raised my hand in the middle of a session. I'm like, I don't feel safe here. And if I wasn't a leader, I would never come to your healing session <laughs> because they were idiots, man. I mean, they just were, they just like literally started, um, coming after me. And it was, it was really unfortunate. And so, um, and these are professionals, you know, I mean, they're, they make their living having these healing groups and I shared something and they didn't like what I shared. And they just, you know, just totally wrecked me. And it Hmm. was, it was lame. So just be really, really careful. I mean, not everybody, even professionals don't get it right. I mean, they're idiot psychologists, idiot counselors, idiot pastors, there's idiot everything. So just be very, very careful who you share with. And if it goes bad, don't assume that it's always going to go bad. Just like if it goes great, don't assume that every person I could share, you know, with is going to be great. So I'll be praying for you. And I know that's scary. And I hope that uh, Jesus brings healing into your life. But I believe healing will come as you begin to share that Mm -hmm. story. Yeah, I love that distinction that you made between confession and sharing. I was thinking, though, I almost wonder if there maybe is some kind of reason, a potential sin type reason that Whitney has not shared this over the last year. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's like a deep fear that... Or even a pride, like I don't want people to think that might be worth exploring as you try and really heal. Yeah, I would say those are the two greatest barriers to all confession is fear and pride. We're all going to fall on one side of the coin. Pride is we're embarrassed and we don't want to admit. Fear is we're afraid people will reject us and and, and not love us and we won't be seen as Christian, spiritual, good, whatever. And so um, those two emotions are always at play when there's confession. And so... um, you know, that's why, again, it's so important that we prepare ourselves. And, I, you know, I've messed this up so many times where I have not received a confession well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, um, man, you know, I, I had a good friend of mine, a guy that I very, very close to me one time. Uh, he confessed he was struggling with some um, sexual sin. And, you know, he just shared with me. He said, I've, you know, I feel like, you know, he shared that. And, and, and later on, he just told me, he said, you didn't handle that well. And. Um, you know, he had some expectations. And so that's, that's what I would say is one of the things I've learned in receiving a confession, I would say, is there any expectations you have of me after you've shared this? Because I, my friend, what he expected from me, and he literally told me later on was, I expected you to circle the wagons, which means, right, everybody huddle in, Mm -hmm. let's all protect what's at the center. Uh, So he had some expectations that I would rally some friends and, and some other guys to his cause. And I didn't do that. And he felt like, even after he confessed, he still really struggled with the issue. And so, um, you know, and part of that for me is, you know, when somebody confesses some something to you, like, for instance, this guy, I really love this guy. Mm-hmm. And um, I was emotionally caught up in his confession. And so those are always the hardest. I think it's easier to be the counselor, to be the pastor. But when you're the friend and you're right. like, you're mm-hmm. invested and they're sharing, you know, they're potentially throwing their life away. Um, that's the first thing that I would confess as the hero. I would say, okay, I need to confess this. I really love you. I'm really connected to this emotionally and um, I can't be objective and clear. And so I need, I need to, 
I need to step back and, and maybe we need to involve somebody that's not, you know, that I trust that's not personally caught up in this. And um, I've just learned that. I, I have disappointed so many people in life that I'm close to mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I'm not their pastor. I'm their friend. I'm their husband. I'm their dad. I'm their, you know, whatever. I, I, and I'm going to be like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be their pastor. But if I don't know you, I can be your pastor mm-hmm. and I can be your counselor. And, uh, and everybody needs that. So, wow, that was a lot. It was good. You know what? Pastor Dan Crowley actually just recently wrote a little thing for some folks Mm -hmm. at our church on how to receive confession. Well, if somebody does that, let's put that in our show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So if you want to learn more about how to respond when somebody confesses sin, just go to debrief.show slash 55 and we'll put them up there. Okay, let's jump in and debrief your sermon. We kicked off the Relationship Toolkit series. You have been excited about this one for like months and months and months. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I was so pumped up and I got sick this weekend. I couldn't believe it. Mm -hmm. I think you prayed over me before the first service because I was just so drained. Oh my gosh. I was so bummed. I was so amped and pumped up and ready. And I feel like I came in a crash landing. Well, it so. did not come across that way. And thank you. So. Exactly. Well, that was Justin's prayer. Well, good job, Justin. Save the thank day. Thank you, Justin. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. This first question comes from Marcos. He's from Seattle. So great. He says, Genesis is a tough read. Uh, what's up, Marcos, by the way? Genesis is a tough read, mainly because growing up, I read it with a historical lens. These days, I can't seem but read it with the sense that it is an allegory. Is it possible that this is an allegory and meant to be, not meant to be read is history? And does having a different view on these passages change how we should interpret them? Yeah, so, I mean, and scholars are going to, you know, disagree on this. And so here, here's where the conservative scholar is not going to agree with Marcos. What they're going to say is if it's not historically accurate, then it's not authentic. And I disagree with that. Is I think that God can't speak through allegory, that God can't, you know, tell a story. Jesus does it all the time. They're called parables, okay? He, yeah. ma- he makes up stories to prove a point. Now, am I saying that Adam and Eve are made up? No, but it's clear from the text we don't have all the information. It's not telling us everything about the origin of man. It's not telling us about every family or every person on earth. Because, I mean, right away, right? You know, Cain and Abel are getting married. They're having kids. You know, uh, this next weekend, you know, Cain's afraid. He's like, hey, if you kick me out of the, the village, people are going to kill me. Well, what people? Mm-hmm. I mean, right? We, we, okay, we don't know who they are. So the text is telling us there's more to this story than we know. Adam's name means mankind. That's... that. This is the story of mankind. And so, um, you know, I don't think you need to hold to literally one person, one, you know, uh, one woman at the very, very beginning, but that's what I hold to. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's how I approach it. But I, I don't think that you're bound to that. I think that it's very, very clear as you read, you know, Genesis 1 and 2, it's just so important that we realize not just history, but it's not a scientific book. Genesis is not telling us how as much as it's telling us why. Mm. Why did God create the heavens and the earth? So here's my position on it, Marcos, uh, from Seattle. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think that is the story of creation. So some people would say, well, I hold to a gap theory. So what I believe is there is a period of time that is differentiating between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. So Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. Who created it? God did. Mm -hmm. How did he do it? It doesn't really say. Then it begins to articulate a second movement of what God is doing. It says in Genesis 1-2, now the earth was formless and void. Horrible translation of the Hebrew text. Um, Greek philosophers believed that the origin of the universe was like, think of like a lava lamp from the 70s. That's kind of the way that they viewed it. And so scholars attempting to be culturally relevant at the time tried to make their argument fit the Greek understanding of creation. And so what they did is, when you read Genesis 1-2, now the earth was 
formless and void, and the Spirit of God is hovering above it, it's not that the earth doesn't exist. The earth is there, and it isn't null and void. The word is tohu wabohu, which means wild, not fitting for man. It's, it's not suitable for man. And so God begins to move in a six-day creation in six specific acts, which again, it isn't about what God did for six days. The question that's being answered is, right, so we're created in God's image and his likeness, and the purpose of the six-day creation is not specifically to articulate what God did, but it's why we rest. Mm. We work for six days and we rest on the seventh day because we want to be like God. That is the purpose of the text. It's not locking us into the six literal days of creation. It's locking us into a week of worship. And what does a week of worship look like for a, a follower of God? We work six days, one day we take off and we rest and we worship God. And that's what we need to be challenging people to do. So Genesis 1, 2, the spirit of God was hovering above the earth and it was null and void. Tohu wabohu. You can find this same Hebrew word in Jeremiah as he witnesses Jerusalem as, it, as they're being carried off to Babylon. He looks at Jerusalem and he says it is to, it was tohu wabohu. It is destroyed. It's hmm. not suitable for the people of God to live anymore. So what is God doing? God is creating, in my mind, the Holy Land, the place on the earth where he will draw man unto himself. So there's two words, Hebrew words, uh, for create in Genesis 1.1, asa and bara. So asa means to gather, okay. to call to. So he bara, or excuse me, he asawed the birds, the fish. What is he doing? He's gathering them. It's not creation ex nihilio, which is a Latin word, which means creation out of nothing. There are two acts of creativity in Genesis 1 where God creates something out of nothing. Only two things are created. Number one, man, mm -hmm. God bara. He creates man from nothing. So, you know, if Genesis is a historical book, right? It dates about 6,000 years ago. Anthropologists will tell us Homo sapiens show up on the earth somewhere between six and 10,000 years ago. They come out of nowhere, okay? And I know we were all taught, right? The, the you know, the ape, the gorilla, and yeah. then me and you, but they don't teach that anymore. We are not connected to those, those uh, creatures genetically. They're kind of, you know, like humans, but they're mm -hmm. not, they're not homo sapiens. They're a different species. And so human beings show up out of nowhere. And, and, and an authentic scientist will tell you that. We don't know where they came from. You know, that's why like that guy in the wheelchair, what's his name from? Oh, Stephen Hawking. Stephen mm -hmm. Hawking says he believes that aliens created us. Mm -hmm. So they, they messed with DNA. They created something because he has to account for the fact that homo sapiens don't exist. And all of a sudden, bam, they do in the geological record. So the earth is wild. What does that mean? There's dinosaurs. I mean, how how you know Stephanie? You know, is getting married. How are you going to do that with a T Rex next door? That's that's going to be a problem. <laughs> That'd be crazy, right? Because yeah. Stephanie's you know not going to make it. She's not that fast. No. <laughs> so you know, think about raptors and those things running out. So God does something on the earth to prepare it for mankind. And so how He did that, you know, it doesn't specifically say, but He is gathering to the specific place. Um, you know, where he is going to put man. And and where is that place? We have to interpret Genesis 1 and 2. Not You can't just interpret apart from Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so what are all of those books about? Those books are all about coming back to the promised land, which is what God is creating and working in. Mm -hmm. And where does he put Adam and Eve? In the Eretz, which is the Hebrew word for land, which doesn't mean earth. It means land, okay. dirt, um, and so he, he creates the land and the dirt and he, and he works it. 
and he puts them there, right? Then they send Genesis 3. He kicks them out. And this is the story of the Israelites coming back to the land mm-hmm. to make it suitable. And what did Adam and Eve do? Uh, Adam and Eve, I believe, were priests. They were Levitical priests. So the Levites are a picture of what Adam and Eve were supposed to do. They, they didn't work the land. The word work in Genesis 2 is the same Hebrew word that is used to describe what a Levite priest does. They work in the temple. Mm-hmm. The Garden of Eden is the temple where we commune with God, where we connect with God, and it's the place of God. And that's why when they sin in the temple, what has to happen? They Sacrifice. are out. Okay, okay, okay. Now, this is going to blow your noodle right here. <laughs> By noodle, I mean mind. Yes. So <laughs> when, when God kicks out Adam and Eve, what mm-hmm. does he place at the center of the garden, keeping them from coming in? Angel with Angel a flaming with sword? A sword? Yeah, it's a cherubim. Okay. So now think of the Ark of the Covenant, the holiest of holies. The presence of God is in the Ark. What is on top of the Ark? Cherubim. The flaming angel. Hmm. Keeping the people out of the very center of where God is. So Hmm. it's a picture of, right? So the Ark, the tabernacle, the temple is all pictures of a physical building of what God spiritually created. We're trying to get back to that state where we're communing with God and we're connected with God. But sin has driven us out. And so all of worship, everything, everything is about obeying God's, is about trusting God and obeying his laws. And what did Adam and Eve do? They didn't trust God. And think about this, they only had one law. Mm-hmm. It's not 10 commandments, there's one. Don't eat the fruit. That's all you have to do. And they blow it. And so that's what teaches us about the human spirit. One laws isn't gonna fix our problem. 10 laws isn't gonna fix our problem. You know, 613 is what they have when Jesus comes. And think about America. America has, right, every time we need more laws. We need, no, 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 no. (laughs) You can have a billion laws. The problem is the human heart, which we don't get to until we hit Ezekiel. When Ezekiel says, God is going to take our heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. And God's going to change our hearts. And so that's what ultimately needs to change is us. So that's a huge, huge story. Uh, But, you know, I love Genesis. I'm passionate about Genesis. Um, you know, can you go to sandals and believe in six, you know, literal days? Sure, but that's not the that's not the ultimate point. The ultimate point is we were we were created in the image of God to know Him and enjoy Him forever. And so here's the beauty of Genesis one, is it teaches us that God has always loved us. So here's the question, right? When you read through the Bible, and a lot of people don't don't ask this question when you're reading um, Kings. You ever notice in Kings it says, and every king sinned more than the one before him. Mm-hmm. So here's the question that the exiled Israelites are asking, right? They're exiled. They're prisoners in Babylon. Here's the question. Does God still love us even though we rejected him and sinned? Genesis 1.1 says, he's always loved you. He loved you from the very beginning and he still loves you. And that's why Genesis 3, he slaughters the animal and he covers them. And he says the seed of the woman, which I don't know if we have any questions on this, will be victorious over the seed of the snake. Eventually, God is going to redeem the earth through a child that will be born of what? A woman. Mm -hmm. Genesis 3, it predicts Jesus. I mean, think about the third chapter in the Bible predicts there's there's going to be one that comes. The seed is coming and he's going to save us. So the Torah ends with, we thought that seed was Moses but it's not. And they await the one who comes like Moses, mm-hmm. which is who? It's Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Mm. 
It's a good answer. Jesus is always a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, if somebody wants to go deep deeper on that kind of stuff, if it's really interesting to them, I know you spent some time with a guy who's um, an expert. Yeah, I studied under a guy. Uh, God bless him. Uh, I think he's in heaven. I can't confirm mm-hmm. that, but he's he's been suffering from a terrible disease. He's actually been in a care facility for the last couple of years, but his name is Dr. Selhammer. And uh, he wrote a book called Genesis Unpacked, fantastic book. And his argument is that the words are what's important. The words are inspired. So don't go with translation, go with the words. And so, um, you know, he's the guy that really, really opened my eyes to understanding Genesis and he's fantastic and a world-renowned scholar. And, you know, some of you listen to pastors and that's great. They're good people. They're not world-renowned scholars. He is, and he's conservative and he loves Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and he has argued passionately for this for years. Um, and and he convinced me about, about 10 years ago, I was like, this makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, if your primary question is how did God do it, you're gonna you're gonna get stuck in the weeds. If right. you ask the question why did God do it, you're you're gonna figure it out. And so again, Genesis one through three is not about how; it's about why. Why did God create us? Why are we separated from God? And then the how is how is God going to redeem us? Mm-hmm. And the answer is the seed of the woman. And we'll put a link to that book in our show notes at mm-hmm. debrief.show slash Yeah, it's an expensive book. It's like 250 bucks because it's out of print, but okay. well worth it. If you want to save your pennies and yeah. learn up, you can find that on debrief.show slash 55. That was nice. I'm just going to try and keep putting the show notes in the, say I'm going to say that URL as often as possible. That's nice. Especially getting the little flare on 55. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very nice. 55 is a great number. All right, so we were looking through um, Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3 this weekend, and um, I want to read these two separate verses or chunks of verses. In Genesis 2, it says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then in Genesis 3, when the snake is talking to Eve, he says that, um, she responds to him and says, of course, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now, is it a big deal here that Eve is kind of misquoting God, saying that she can't even touch it when she's really just trying to add some extra precaution? Yeah. So, and I think that's what religion does. So, what religion does, God says don't do something. Mm-hmm. And then we we do a thousand things to prevent us from doing that. But unfortunately, we confuse the two. And and just know, this is the beginning of religion right here. So God says, don't do, don't eat the fruit. And she says, we can't even touch it. He didn't say anything about touching it. Now, you're probably not going to eat it if you don't touch don't it. Don't touch it. But um, so it's an exaggeration of the commandment. And that's what religion does. It exaggerates the commands of God. And so, you know, Jesus says this to the Pharisees. He says, you put a yoke and a burden on people that you yourselves cannot carry. And that's what I see a lot of pastors doing when they, you know, they get up there and they act so holy and it's just so self-righteous. And the reality is what they're doing is they're beating their church people down with commandments they themselves cannot, you know, uh, they can't, they cannot follow themselves. And it's mm-hmm. just, you know, saying one thing in a sermon is different from living it out in your life. And so I think one of the, the reasons people are so drawn to Sandals Church, I had a gal say this to me yesterday. She just said, you preach so normal, mm. right? And, and what a compliment, you know? Um, my goal is not to come off as an extraordinary person on stage. Cause all I think that does is make people feel like, wow, I can never do that. It's to come off completely ordinary and communicate to them. Look, this gospel is for us. It, the re- there's a reason it's good news. You don't have to be extraordinary to follow it. <laughs> you just have to be <laughs> repentant, which everybody can do that. And so, you know, we don't know, maybe Adam added that to her because God told Adam, don't do it. And then Adam must've told her, don't do it. Maybe he added, you know, don't even touch it. 
uh, maybe she was always fascinated with it and drawn to it. And so he said, Hey, don't even get near that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but he himself fell as well. So yeah, there's a discrepancy there again. And, um, and again, you know, the point, the point is what went wrong. So it's the author of, uh, Genesis is not as interested in the details. He's it's big picture. It's, it's huge picture here. And he's just trying to get us to, why aren't we in the land if God loves us? Why, why, why don't we live there? Why, why, why is life so awful? Why is it so hard to get food and to work? And why is giving birth so painful, right? Those are the answers that are answered here. And it's because you are living apart from God, right? God is life. And in him is a beautiful, wonderful life. Apart from him is death. And that's what happens in Genesis 3. Our life, we are not self-sustaining creatures. We are dependent upon life. God in his essence is life. Life exudes from him. That's why Jesus says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. Life comes from him. It emanates from him. It's not something, that's why God doesn't, wasn't born and didn't, can't die. Now, Jesus did in the form of a human uh, body, but that was part of the incarnation. He has always been, and he always will be, because mm-hmm. life comes from so. Hey, so you were talking at our staff meeting this morning about this word Ruach. breath. Ru- yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. T- can you talk about that? Yeah, so it's interesting. So in Genesis 1, it says that God breathed the breath of life into Adam, the Ruach. And then in Genesis 3, after the fall, it says that the Ruach shows up, the wind, the breath of God. And what was life-giving in Genesis 1 and 2 is now terrifying in Genesis 3. And so that's what's so sad. And so just, just think about that. You know, when in John 14, 6, when Jesus says that I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, you know, I'm the breath, um, you know, your, your essence comes from me. God breathes the breath of life in us. Think about John 10, 10. I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. Mm-hmm. So in God is the complete and fullest experience of life. Apart from God is death, misery, and destruction. And that's what the Bible's trying to teach us. We live and move and breathe in him. It's from God that we have our breath. It's from God that we have our life. And when we choose, we say, it's my life, and we go on our own, fine. Guess what? Eternal death. In him is eternal life. In him is eternal death. And so that's that's just what we have to deal with. And it's just so sad. So many people don't come to church because they're afraid of God. And it's so sad. Adam and Eve hide from God. And God is pursuing them. And, they, and he says, why, why are you hiding? And he says, because I was naked and I'm afraid. And so our shame uh, and our conviction of our sin is what makes us feel like we can't draw near to God. But what God does in Genesis 3, right, is he covers them. Mm-hmm. And he institutes, I believe, in Genesis chapter 3, the beginning of animal sacrifice that ultimately results in the sacrifice of his one and only son. Hmm. So, yeah, ruach, fun little Hebrew word. <laughs> fun facts with Pastor Matt. All right, this next question comes from John, and he says, Adam and Eve are the ones who sinned in the garden. So why did their sin separate all humans from God? Why wasn't I born perfect and allowed to make my own choice to sin? Yeah, that's a great question. And and, and again, that's why we need to read the story allegorical. This is your story, John. That was his name? Mm -hmm. John, this is your story. This is your life. This is what you do. Uh, uh, Psalms 139 says, you were born fearfully and wonderfully made. The same psalmist also says, from the moment my mother conceived me, I was a sinner. Both of those are true. David said both of those words. So both are true. And the, and, and, and the, the reality is we do choose sin. 
We do every single day. We choose to sin. We choose to rebel. We choose to go our own way. Adam and Eve is not their story. It is our story. Mm -hmm. And that's why we need to understand that, not as literally two people, but, you know, allegorically is our story. I am Adam. You are Eve. This is, I was pointing to Stephanie, not you. You can't be Eve. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. I know in our culture, if Justin, did, if Justin was, wants to be that's Eve. That's why I choose to be seen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's just, a, you know, let's jump into there real quick. Gender does matter to God. And, you know, what gender are you? Whatever one your body physically manifests itself as. So, um, you know, there are hermaphrodites. We can talk about that on another debrief episode. But, let's you know, you, your gender that God has given you is important. And part of your act of worship is identifying with the gender that God gave you. That is an act of worship. And to choose your own gender that you identify with. Remember, what is sin? We talked about last week, the exaggeration of something good or the diminishment of something good. So a transgender person is exaggerating the beauty of whatever they're not and is minimizing the beauty of what they are. So, you know, transgenders have an unhealthy fixation on gender. Like, I don't I don't walk around every day. I'm a man, I'm a man, I'm a man, I'm a man. Like, it's not, that's not, that's... I don't exaggerate my masculinity, right? And you, you've met dudes that their masculinity is over-exaggerated. You're just like, dude, you're a jerk. Back it off a little <laughs> bit, pull it back. Um, so um, we, we just need to understand that that, that, that that's what happens in that. And so we need to trust God in his wisdom, you know, that he made me a man or he made me a woman and I, and I need to be that. And that's part of, part of my worship. And that's why animals are more righteous than we are. Because the lion never thinks like, oh, I need to be a hyena. The lion worships God by being a lion. Hmm. And part of our worship is by being what God has created us to be, despite the mental confusion we may have with our identity deep inside. And that doesn't mean that, you know, people, you know, aren't deeply challenged. But um, I think if you're a Christian person and you have a transgender desire, what you need to focus and fixate on is not your gender, but on God. And ask God to diminish your desire to be that which you're not. Wow. So, man, I love that concept. The part of the ways that we worship God is by being yeah. who we are. Mm -hmm. I feel like that doesn't even. There's so many other ways that that can apply. Just to even just recognizing our personalities right. and mm -hmm. and what happens when we don't. Genesis three. Who sins? The one is that is to be submissive to the male. So mm -hmm. she does everything. She takes the the active role. She takes the leadership role. He takes the passive role. Okay, he, 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 he acts like the woman and she acts like the man. And what happens? Hmm. Disaster, hmm. disaster. Um, which again, you know, when, when you read about homosexuality in the New Testament, one of the things that Paul's so against is the man playing the passive role, being the receiver of sexual intercourse. And, and he's like, that, that is contrary to creation. So the man is not to receive that. The woman receives, that's, that's, that's Paul's issue is, Gen gender is wrapped up in who we are and, and that's part of it. And so when we don't do that, things literally go to hell quickly. Mm -hmm. And so Adam does not play the role of the leader. The woman does. And by the way, are we going to get into the curse today at all? The curses? Let's go there. Yeah. So on the curse, what, it, what, what does God say? He says, Adam, your curse is you're going to work and the ground is going to hate you and it's mm -hmm. going to be rough. And then he turns to the woman and he says, your desire will be for your husband. Like you're, you're going to try, you're going to try to subvert and lead and be in charge, and that's that's your curse. Hmm. I mean, it's and oh, by the way, childbirth is going to suck. So those those are the Wait, two. So hold on, explain desire for your husband. Say say that again. It's 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 the desire for the role. Oh. So which is interesting, right? When we think about if you're a Christian woman, you're like, well, you know, um, 
you know, I, I believe in egalitarianism and we're totally the same. And, and I'm just going to put that on blast this next weekend because I think equality really handcuffs everyone, uh, children, couples, everything. Uh, my wife and I are equals in our terms of our humanity, but we are not equal in terms of our gender. We're different in, in, in every way that mm-hmm. is. And um, uh, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to lose the wow factor this next weekend. So I don't want to jump into that, but I'm all excited about that. But I'm passionate about that. I think that when when, when you run around saying everyone is equal, when everyone has different gifts, talents, mm-hmm. desires, I mean, it's sameness is not a category for God. Mm-hmm. And yet it's something that we're fascinated with. So um, Jesus in Philippians 2, it says he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So, so what does the femininity, of Jesus display. You can let go of the reins. Mm-hmm. So as women, and many times they are the better leader. They are more organized. I mean, my wife is so much better at so many things than me, but the reality is our family is dysfunctional if she leads. I need to lead. The problem is, what is the sin of men? We're passive, right? We, we don't lead. We don't take initiative. And so that's why families are constantly out of kilter. And um, you know, I, I wrote a, a Bible study called Identity. It's released in Lifeway, and you can read. I have a whole chapter on this um, where I deal with the passage, you know, wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Very unpopular passage, but God is not interested in popularity. He's interested in what's right. Mm. And so I talk about how men lead in that fashion and how women can submit in that fashion. And it's a difficult thing. And if you're like, you're married and like, that's impossible, that just shows how broken your marriage is. Mm. And so, you, you, you know, Men have to lead and women have to submit. And it's a difficult, difficult thing. But, you know, and there's always a thousand examples where you can cite some abusive dude, but that he's not the example in the Bible. Jesus is. That's the example of the husband. Mm -hmm. You know, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. That's the example. Not some idiot dude that's abusive, you Mm -hmm. know, or destructive or selfish. Jesus is the example. So you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, you know, submission is the thing that wrecks people. No, unhealthy men is what wrecks a marriage. That, wow. That's what wrecks it. So, that's that's good stuff. Uh, you can find a link to that identity book online in the show notes. Stephanie, where's that at? Oh, it's at debrief show slash. What was the number? Fifty five. Mm, that was nice. Yeah, it was a little little little. We just coast. lost all of our female listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get them back. Let's get them back. Uh, we got a question from Molly. So here Yay, we go, Molly. Hopefully, she'll a... continue to listen. <laughs> Episode fifty six, Molly. You can do it. She's got a question about uh, this weekend's sermon. There's something I struggle with daily, my desire for more. How do we know when following a dream or God's vision for our lives turns into the desire for more? Sometimes, always really, I feel like I'm walking on a thin line between my dreams and my desires. When is too much too much? Is dreaming dangerous? The question is, what are you dreaming about? And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, are you, do you want to enlarge your kingdom or God's kingdom? And so... Um, we always have to, I think ambition is a God-given thing. I think the apostle Paul was ambitious, but he used his ambition, what, to empty himself, to become nothing. You know, as soon as we're fixated on stuff or things or money or position or power, none of that is of God. What what, what we need to be ambitious about is emptying ourselves, dying to ourselves, releasing, giving, generosity. Those are the things that we should be ambitious about. That's what needs to drive me. I need to become more generous. I need to be more kind, more loving. Um, you know, we just talked about wives submit to your husband's as in the Lord. Well, the verse that precedes that is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So 
I need to be more submissive to my wife and her needs and her wants and her desires and, yeah. and how do I care about her feelings and, and what matters to her. And, and those are the things that need to be at the forefront of my heart so that I can lead her well and so that she can trust me as I lead and as she submits. So I, I have to lead in submission. I don't get to demand submission, but I lead by example in that. And so ambition is a dangerous, dangerous thing. And man, it'll get its tentacles around you really, really quickly and it will destroy you. And, um, you know, like for example, here, here's how it works. Let's say my ambition is to build a, a big church. Mm-hmm. That's bad. If my ambition is to see people one to Christ, that's good. Now it's gonna result in the same thing. We're gonna have a big church. You're gonna have lots of people saved. What is the ambition of my heart? My heart is for people. I care about people. As long as that's there, that's good. When it comes just about numbers or, or my size or my name or my reputation or you know the ranking of Sandals Church, that's bad. That's really, really bad. That's evil. Mm. Um, and God's not in that. God is in the business of redeeming people. Um, and so, so we got to watch that. We, we got to be really, really careful. Um, and so some people, right, ambition shows up on this. Well, I just don't believe in big church because their ambition is to be super important in a small church. And so they lose identity, influence, and power as the church goes bigger. And so what they say is, well, the church has gotten too big. And, and so then they go to a smaller church where they can maintain their ambition to be at the center of things. And um, you just got to watch. It can go both ways. I mean, you can be ambitious and want a big church. You can be ambitious and want, want a small church. And so the, the big thing here is you have to examine your heart. Get in community group where you're sharing what's really going on in your life. You're sharing the full story, not just what you want people to hear. Because uh, I remember a couple of years ago, we had a leader in our church who felt God had called him to do something. And man, I just didn't agree. And um, he was sharing, you know, all about all these great grandiose things God was gonna do. And um, he asked me what I thought. And I said, well, it sounds like you think this is what God wants you to do. And I, I just, it, it wasn't even worth my time because he had pre- presented the picture of this in such a way that who could speak against it? Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? It didn't work because I, you know, I could tell right away God's not in this. But I'm not going to waste my time on people who don't want to listen to me, anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't stand when people ask me for advice and they've already made up their minds. I mean, why are you wasting my time? And your own? Yeah, because it's ridiculous. So, um, you know, just 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 know you're never going to know the difference, and that's where God's word. That's where the Holy Spirit's conviction and that's where community comes in. Absolutely. There's no formula for figuring out every time whether it's your ambition or God's calling. So you need those three things all the time. Here's one of the rules, one of the secrets I've learned. If it's something that's a passionate desire of mine, I gotta be very, very careful that God's in it. So people always ask me, why did you start a church in Riverside? Uh, Well, my wife has her answer and I have my answer. And here's my answer. I'm sitting in seminary, everybody's planting churches, Laguna Beach. Malibu, Santa Monica, San Francisco, San Diego, all of these cool places. And I'm just sitting there, I'm like, why is it that God wants to plant these churches in all these super cool places and nobody's going to the Empire, which is the fastest growing region in Southern California? Why do you think that is? Because mm-hmm. everybody wants to serve Jesus in Malibu, yeah, in Laguna cool Beach, place. in Santa Monica, in Hawaii. And I, I just knew this. I, I knew that if I was going to start a church, it had to be someplace where I wouldn't naturally go to. And so Riverside for me, you know, there's no surf. There's no, you know, there's there's none of the things that I love to do here. And so I'm always weary of marrying my passions with serving God. You know, mm-hmm. just be very, very careful when it's your desires. Because I think God doesn't have to call us to do things we're passionate about. Mm-hmm. He has to call us to do things that we're ignoring. And, wow. and, and that's, I don't know, that's my two cents on that. Mm-hmm. Side note, I was driving to uh, 
jujitsu tournament for my son the other day, and while we were driving along this road, we drove right past the church that you said that you were at when you got fired, and then came, oh, over, yeah. came to plant sales. I was like, hey. Yeah. That was really close to the beach. I didn't get fired. I well, got let go. Okay, there you go. Oh. Well, that you got. I said, I said, I want to plant a church someday, and he said, "How does two weeks sound?" <laughs> so, okay, pretty close. Yeah. Sure. So I was actually reading reading uh, his letter to me, which actually the pastor's a really nice guy. I was I was reading his letter to me, and uh, um, his letter to me said, "Your time here at such and such church has been interesting." <laughs> That's what he said. That was the word that he used. It was like, oh, okay. Can you imagine 25-year-old Matt Brown? Though? Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. I wouldn't want him on my staff. Ironically, I feel like if you were Did to you write me a letter face about Stephanie, made <laughs> Stephanie, oh, my gosh. How's working for Pastor Matt? It's interesting. Yeah, exactly. There you go. I was going to say, oh, if you, no. just got, you just got fired. I did. In my mind. Well, it's been a good run, guys. Mm-hmm. I'll see you. Yeah. I'll write her up. So there's a uh, open for a female spokesman on the debrief show. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, Had a good run. Okay, a couple more questions here. This one comes from uh, Jamie. This weekend, you said that we need to accept grace from Jesus. And this is about Mm. how we, um, the very end of your sermon, and I'm going to open up the end of your sermon. By the Mm. way, if you guys did not download the Sandals Church app yet, you can, if you've got an iPhone, you can get the Sandals Church app. It's awesome. Just go go Mm -hmm. to the app store, search Sandals Church, you'll find it. Or you can go to sandalschurch.com slash app. You'll find that link in our show notes at debrief.show slash 55. But the very end of your sermon, (laughs) you talked about how we can pursue healthy relationships by taking responsibility responsibility for what we've done. That responsibility requires a couple things. Those last two were receiving grace from Jesus and then moving on. So Jamie says, what are we supposed to do about people who constantly remind us of our mistakes or won't forgive us? It's hard to move on with them holding on. Yeah. And that man, again, I I feel like what I said, and I don't know if I said it, you know, in every sermon, remember I preach four times a weekend, but I'm pretty sure what I said at one of the, at least one of the services is don't be as sick as the people who are trying to hold you back. And Man, you know, Christians, especially, you know, if this is a person who claims to be a Christian and they can't let it go, then they don't know Jesus. Mm. I mean, look at Luke chapter seven. It says that when when he finishes, uh, or Luke 11, I think the Lord's prayer is Luke 11, um, uh, or seven. Oh, my mind just, sorry. It's one of those two. Um, you know, he says, you know, if you will not forgive, you will not be forgiven. So you need, you need to, that's at the end of the Lord's prayer. So we, people that claim to know Christ and can't forgive you don't know Christ. And so some people are like, well, I just don't believe you're repentant. And so we're actually going to end with, uh, I think, a powerful, powerful uh, week as we look at Joseph in the final chapter of Genesis. And it's powerful. Joseph says these words, who am I to sit in the seat of God? And people that can't forgive, they're sitting in the seat of God. And, um, you know, that's a scary thing for them because Jesus says the measure you use in judging others will be used against you on the day of judgment. So I would pray for those people. Mm-hmm. So um, it's really, really difficult. Um, you know, I, I, I always share this with couples. Let's say there's been adultery in a relationship. Um, man, if you can't forgive and move on, you probably shouldn't stay married because you're just, you're just gonna beat the heck out of each other for, for the future. And so you just really, really have to ask yourself, if you're the spouse that's been cheated on, can you offer grace? Can you give forgiveness and move on? It doesn't mean that, you know, um, you mean, won't be hurt. Yeah, you something. won't be hurt. Um, but that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is releasing judgment. So I'm going to release. Ju- it doesn't mean it didn't hurt me. It doesn't mean it didn't wound me. I'm going to release this judgment, and I'm going to I'm going to entrust this to God. And the Bible says God will judge, um, and God will deal with these people. So I would encourage you to get around healthy people, people that are going to love you and, and um, forgive you, and just know, you know, man. <laughs> 
Sunday after church, I went to the grocery store. Uh, my wife's been out of town this week, and I got I went to get, to get some groceries to buy my son something. And and I, I I'm sitting there in my car, and and there's this couple that left Sandals Church, and they hate me. Mm. They hate me. And I've tried everything I can do, you know, apologize, try to work, and they just they just won't forgive me. They're just angry, angry people. And you know what I did? I just sat in my car and I waited for them to leave because there's only so much time in the day, right? I'm not gonna yeah. I'm not gonna sit there and rehash how I'm this horrible person. I mean, I, I've literally said, I'm sorry. I apologize for stuff I didn't think I did. You know I mean? There's the, the, these kind of people. They're like saying stuff. I'm like, well, I don't think I did that, but I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And when every apology didn't endear them to me, it empowered them against mm -hmm. me. And they used my humility as um, their strength to come against me. And so now they go to another church and God bless that other church. But I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be around them. I don't want to be with them. And so I make that choice, you know, um, Unfortunately, there's a lot of people like that in Riverside that can't stand me. Um, my wife will call me sometimes and be like, I'm sitting in the car. Why? She's so-and-so's in the church and I don't want to go in there. Because, uh, you know, people, for whatever reason, have no problem telling us how they feel. So both good and bad. I mean, most of the time it's good, but sometimes it's bad. So get away from those people. I mean, that's what I do, right? So you got to own your part. If there's some truth in what they're saying, don't be self-righteous. You got to own it. Yeah, I did that. I'm totally sorry. Uh, I'm going to do my best to make sure it doesn't happen again. You know, I mean, that's part of repentance. That's what mm -hmm. repentance means. It's not just like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's like, I'm sorry, I'm gonna stop this. Um, and then it's forgiving yourself. And for me, and I think for religious people, we can tell others about grace. We have a hard time giving it for ourselves. And just know that if you can't give yourself grace, that is that is demonic act activity in your life. Mm. That is the enemy literally uh, at your door destroying you because the cross says you're forgiven. And anything that says you're not forgiven is literally lies from the pit of hell and it is not God. Jesus Christ died a bloody horrific death for your sin and you need to trust him in that. And, um, you know, you just, you just gotta, you gotta trust the gospel for yourself. And then last point, move on. I'm moving on. There's some people that just, you know, they don't believe me. They don't trust me. They don't like me. I've said, I'm sorry, all I can say, bye. I'm done. Pastor Andrew hates it because I just walk away. It's like when Andrew and I are at the gym, somebody's just giving me, and I just walk away. Andrew loves Jesus more than I do, so he <laughs> he just sits there and just takes it. But I'm like, we're done. But how, how do you move on from somebody that you can't necessarily step out of a relationship with? Like, let's say it's like a mom or a, a boss or something like that. Yeah, it, that's a whole debrief conversation. Like, okay. we need to unpack that very, very carefully. We need to do a whole debrief on on how do you navigate unhealthy relationships that you can't get out of. Um, because, um, sometimes that's like with an ex spouse, that's the parent of your children. You can't get out of that relationship. You have children together and that's going to be with you. And so mm -hmm. how do you navigate that unhealthy, ugly gorilla that you have to jump into the cage with, you know, multiple times a month to deal with things. And I mean, I just talked to a guy at the gym. He was talking about his ex, his ex wife. And he's, he told me, he says, she hates me. That's what he said. She hates me no matter what I do. Well, that's because anger has got a hold of her heart. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, he's like, what do I do? I'm like, you need to pray for her. And he's like, why? I said, because she is the mother of your children. Mm. That's why. Your love, it's not your love for her, it's your love for your kids. And that's what should motivate. But that should be a whole debrief conversation because we all have to, <laughs> you know, my family's not perfect. I got people, sure. you know, uh, we're going to talk about uh, Noah on the boat. Uh, in a couple weeks. And man, I probably would have got hammered and passed out naked too if I had to spend a couple months with my family on a boat with a bunch of animal poo, you know? I mean, right? Let's cut him some slack. I you guess. know, he was fantasizing about that vineyard for months, man. Oh my gosh. I'm going to grow me some grapes and 
wait, yeah, wait for them to sour up. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> okay, one last question. All right, so this last question comes from Jacob, and he says, I'm a sophomore at, from Arrowhead Christian Academy. I was asked to speak in an upcoming chapel about growth, and I'm going to talk about growing through relationships. Can you give me some suggestions on Bible verses and advice as I prepare to speak? Yeah, wow, Jacob, little pastor there. Maybe the future pastor of Sandals Church, that'd be mm-hmm. cool. Um, so, uh, Jacob, what I would say is, is I, I would look on, you know, uh, you, Genesis 1 is not good for man to be alone. God did not create us to be alone. And so um, there's some great Proverbs as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And so the key to that verse is, right, people that are equally yoked, people that can challenge you, sharpen you. So for me, you know, I need to have, I need to have strong, strong people in my life that can speak into my life because I'm a powerful person. I'm a dominating personality. And so I need to have people... Um, you know, they can call me on my crap and say, hey, look, I feel like you've, you've stepped out of the line here. So you need to have that. Having said that, I believe that you can learn from any relationship. I mean, I think when you get to the place in life where you're like, well, I can't learn from that person, then you're prideful and mm. you need to humble yourself. I mean, I, I, I learn from people all the time. I'm constantly learning, constantly uh, evaluating life. And, and I think that's how you get the most out of life is you just have to admit you don't know everything and you can learn from people. And so I'm learning all the time. I'm listening all the time. And, and I feel like that's how we learn. So that's what I would say. Those two verses, you could pick either. There's also, I think it is Ecclesiastes 4, 8. Bam, yep, trying to pull that go. out. Yep. And it says this, a threefold fold cord rope is not easily broken, uh, but a person standing alone could be attacked. Two are even better, but three, that's what you want. And so what I take that verse to mean is you take you and your friend back to back, and then God is in the mix. And then you have those three together. And that is... That that cord is not easily broken, and so um, you're you're sure I'm right. Ecclesiastes four eight ninety eight percent positive. I'm yeah, gonna... I think that's the verse. So um, they'll fact check it, and we'll yeah. post we'll it on to... the debrief. That's right. Do you know where we're going to post it? No. Have you been listening to Justin? <laughs> I I don't listen to Justin <laughs> when he talks. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Uh, All yeah. I hear him say is fifty five. Yeah. Yes. See, there you go. Debrief show slash fifty five. Yes. That's right. Well, cool. Thanks for that, Master Matt. You're welcome. Yeah, we'll get those verses and those notes up there on our show notes. Um, like Justin mentioned, we do have a new Sandals Church app that is out now. It is um, in the App Store. The best it's place to four go. Nine, four, four nine. Four nine. Oh, four oh, eight. Verse off. Four eight off. is where the whole thing starts. Okay. okay. For there was a man all alone, and he had neither son nor I cannot nor memorize the entire Bible, people. Uh, yeah. Well, I, we're going to cut no, you some slack on try. that one. You got so, so close, man. So close. <laughs> You were doing something important I was do, before I was I telling us about the app. No, that's Can great. I, I, want, I want to start calling you. So you call me Pastor Matt. Can I call you Stagehand Stephanie? Sure. <laughs> there, there you go. So how about Sidekick? Ooh, yeah, Sidekick Stephanie. Yeah. There we go. Because mm. right. I'm bummed because you're getting married and I can't call you Quinoa anymore. I know. Like she has the best last name. I do mm. have a pretty fun last name. Quinoa. So, Keeny. Yeah. You're, you're still Dolores to me, kid. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Okay, seriously. Right. This I, Sandals Church app is so good. I was actually just looking at the bottom of the sermon notes here. This awesome personal reflection guide is another awesome thing mm. that you could do during the week beyond just uh, listening to the show. This personal reflection guide is really, really cool. So yeah, it's written by our own Yoda. Yeah. Pastor Dan Crowley. Pastor Dan Crowley. That's very true. He's not short or not green, but he is bald. Crowley, Pastor Dan. He's awesome. <laughs> that guy is, man, he's awesome. He is He is super great. Yeah. So you may not be able to find the app by searching in the app store right now. Just go to sandalschurch.com slash app. We've got a link that will take you right to it so you can download it. It's only for iPhones right now. I'm sorry. Uh, we are working on an Android version to come out as soon as possible, but yep. that's what we got right now. 
And if you want to get any of the notes from this episode and you maybe missed where those might be. Online at debrief.show slash 55. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. And also you can follow us on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter at Debrief Show. Uh, we'd love to see you. You should look us up on YouTube too. It, oh. uh, just watch us at least once so that you can see how much fun we're having here it's so, behind the microphones. It, it's wild in here. <laughs> wild. Yeah, exactly. Actually, we're freezing. We're all of us it's are freezing cold. Yeah, it's a little cold. And day. basically hugging our bodies. It's so yes. cold. It's so our cold. Our own right individual now. bodies, yeah. just so we're clear. I don't know that a nine knows what wild is. <laughs> uh, Stephanie's sorry core, core Enne- struggle. Enneagram speak. Yeah, it's Stephanie's true. core struggle. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, so the very nine last thing. One, so I'm a rule follower. So yeah. Like, ah, that doesn't look like we should do that. Yeah. That's true. Well, hey, listen, for those of you guys that want to support the show, um, thank you so much for uh, doing that. You can text in to give. You can text give debrief. That's two separate words to 951-900-4120. I've actually been getting emails every Sunday afternoon that shows like that people have been doing that during the week. So for those of you guys who are doing that, man, that is so cool. Thank you so much for doing that. That's super generous. Um, Even just being in here in this space in this cool new studio just for the show. Uh, has been really, really awesome. So thank you guys for your generosity, for your giving here uh, and helping us continue to uh, make this show happen. You know what? One last thing, Stephanie, if people have questions on a specific type of relationship, they should send those in, right? Oh, absolutely. So we are going to be, from this episode on, we're going to be talking about specific types of relationships that we're going to cover. So we're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about dating. We'll talk about parenting. We'll talk about coworkers, which I have a lot of questions about. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, We'll talk about friendships. So if you have questions on any type of relationship, we're going to be covering those. Send in your questions. We would love to get them here on the show. You can do that by going to debrief.show. No slash, just debrief.show. Oh, here's the other thing. Listen, if you have a friend who doesn't know how to listen to the debrief, they can download the app. There's a media section. The debrief is inside the Sandals Church app. It is. And there's a link there where you can ask a question. Ask a question. It's great. Boom. Yeah. You can also do that on Facebook. If you're like, I don't do the whole app thing, go to Facebook. Look for the debrief show. Send you us send a message. That message. Go straight to Stephanie. It does, and I'll say hi. Okay, I got one other one other little thing. We are working on. I know a lot of you guys listen to the show more and more regularly. Um, we're working on putting together a couple of best of episodes to help mm. people uh, that have not listened to all of the debrief the last fifty episodes. If you've got a favorite question that Pastor Matt has shared and it really really helped you out, let us know, and we'll make sure to include that in mm. one of our upcoming best of episodes. Just let Stephanie know. Send a message on Facebook or debrief show or whatever. All right, yes. before we get out here, we got to talk about some of this crazy stuff Christians say. Stephanie, you got a new one for us? Sure do. It's time for Learning Christianese. <laughs> learning Christianese, I think I'm learning Christianese, I really think so. Learning Christianese, I think I'm learning Christianese, I really think so. All right, Pastor Matt, what do Christians mean when they say love on? Like, oh, I just really want to love on you. Wow, that sounds way worse than I thought. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like an HR violation. I'm oh, to, love to, to love on someone? Yeah. Like the, the Christian version, not the... Yeah. I don't know where you were going there. It sounds bad. I'm going to love on them. Don't you need to ask permission before? for that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what I think it means is is you're going to do something nice for them in a way that they would perceive as loving. Pastor Matt, I'd like to do something nice for you in a way that you'd perceive as loving. Do I have your permission? No. <laughs> 